Welcome back to High Wall Clean. This is Eric McCoy. You know, I want to begin by expressing my great appreciation for our sponsor and taking a moment in the very beginning to let you know about this organization. It offers a lot of great services, including the school that I work for. As I, as I get an opportunity to teach and assist in helping individuals become very competent and valuable counselors. How do you do this? Well, you've got to know more than other people do. You know, New Creation College is located in Southern California, very close to the Ontario airport. This organization also offers extraordinary services for uh, detox residential and outpatient treatment. And I'm also very excited to show our first professionally made commercial for this show. Now, I want you to stay tuned for our guest today, Amy Guerrero, who is a life coach and has created services that will help you heal your relationships, find a way out of stagnation in your program, and live a sober, confident life. And I'm going to see you in a minute. People I love lost faith in me. I lost faith in me, and I lost my faith. Uh, I lost hope. I tried AA, but it just wasn't enough. I needed something that would help me for the rest of my life. I needed a nurturing environment that would help me understand what I was running from. His House New Creation gave me that. I found purpose, meaning, ultimately a career helping others. Recovery is a process, and I'm grateful for the journey His House New Creation helped me discover. True recovery really does begin at His House. Thank everybody for watching our show and supporting our show. Um, this is again High Wall Clean. My name is Eric McCoy. You know, as a lot of people know my story, I first entered the crazy world of recovery when I was very young at the age of 16 after uh, getting arrested twice and choosing rehab instead of juvenile prison. <laughs> that was the first of many. And aside from not thinking I really had a problem. My crazy mind, you know, somehow said that I won't take it seriously until I'm fully physically dependent and lose everything. I, did, <laughs> I didn't exactly say that to myself, but it is what I did. You know, most of us, especially when we're younger, believe that life's going to be boring. It's going to suck. You know, I'll never find enjoyment in life. And it was a belief that I carried that drugs, particularly meth, gave me confidence, gave me pleasure, and it made me more likable. 
Now, none of this was true because as I title this high wall clean, pleasure comes from me. You know, after a lot of years of destroying my body, I learned firsthand that what I was actually doing was slowly but surely taking all those positives that I felt meth gave me away. You know, as times passed, I became less confident. Pleasure eventually faded, and I was far from likable as I probably developed the same symptoms as antisocial personality disorder. The lies I told myself were killing me. Life did suck getting loaded. But I'll also admit that life did suck when I was newly sober as the damage that I caused made all those negative things that I mentioned worse. You know, I had deep depression. I hated myself worse than other people did. And I was far from confident. You know, I struggled as I fought to stay clean. I eventually followed direction as I was told that all I needed to do was get a sponsor, work the steps and go to meetings. They helped, you know, and especially in terms of gaining a support network. But I did become stagnant and I didn't feel that I was getting everything that I needed to become happy, to become confident and truly stable. I needed more. You know, I worked hard on myself with self-esteem, caring about myself and finding all those things that I felt meth gave me, but I was able to find them clean and sober. I found highness while clean. Now, my guest today is someone I would probably have loved to have found in my early years of recovery because it possibly could have made life a lot easier as I had to sort of fumble around to figure all those things out. Amy Guerrero is a trauma-informed recovery coach. She's sober herself, and she's the founder of Thrive to Recovery, which is to help people heal trauma, help individuals find success, and create healthy relationships with people. Now, I see her as someone working at times to help people learn just the basic life skills that I believe are not really taught in treatment programs. Recently, Amy launched Bridge to, Tr Bridge to Trust, which is a complimentary three-day interactive experience designed for repairing relationships, heal dysfunctional family dynamics, and experience a deeper connection. Thank you, Amy. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. <laughs> it's my pleasure because we get to have pleasurable things happen in our conscious lives as people who choose sobriety and consciousness. We get to get high. <laughs> we get to get high while clean. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love every part of what, you know, you're about and it's such an honor to be here and to have this conversation with you because, um, gosh, you know, being high while clean is all about it, what it's all about. Absolutely. You know, I've read some of your stuff. I was kind of going over your website and I feel that you and I are actually very like-minded. Um, I realized that the 12-step program and kind of what I was seeing on your site, and I've said this over and over and over, and I say this to people all the time, that it only is going to get me so far. You know, I, I always hated that saying that all you need to do, all you need to do, right, is get a sponsor, work the steps and go to meetings. And I personally think that we're setting people up when we teach people that because 
there's so much more that we need to find in life. You agree? Oh my goodness. 100 million percent. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, and when, when we're, I first walked into the rooms of 12 step and different types of recovery, you know, I, I was a, a willing to listen to whatever I was told. And so it can be so easily to get set up. Well, I'm doing the thing and I still don't feel happy, joyous or free. What, what's wrong? There's something wrong with me. Right. And, and that mentality can easily um, take over someone's life and then lead them back to that old groove, that old pathway that their body knows so well to go back to the substance, to go back to the weird behavior, to go back to the porn, the sugar, the sex, the, you know, relationships that don't work. Um, Sometimes it's not our drug of choice that we go back to, but we do find some way of escaping rather than really choosing. And I love that in your masculine, you use the word pleasure like you do, because, you know, gosh, that's what it's all about. And it's not a bad word. Pleasure is not a bad word. No, nor is highness. No. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But we can be so afraid of it because we're told that we're going to die if we, if we experience that, or if we um, have a desire to experience that while clean and, um, that can be scary. And especially for people who have the trauma response of black and white thinking, all or nothing thinking, which at first so many people do because their minds haven't been able to process that there can be grayness in their, in their life and recovery and that there can be fluidity and the nervous system doesn't feel safe to feel that. And so that black and white thinking can be like, well, no, I I can never have that thought again. And if I do, that means I'm headed down the road to relapse and I'm going to die. And and I'm like, whoa, wait, none of that happened yet. You just want to have better sex. I mean, that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, I think, you know, and I've thought a lot about this, you know, and again, I, the 12 step program is great, you know, and it's helped a lot of people. Um, and I encourage people to do it, check it out, see if it works for you, see if it helps you. Um, but you definitely need more, you know, I believe. And one of the things that I've thought about so much and, and, you know, working in the substance abuse industry, I've been doing it for, it seems like forever, but often I'm like 20 years. And, you know, I've seen so many people that they go to the 12 step program, they get the sponsors, they work the steps, they say, quote unquote, do everything that they're supposed to do, then they get loaded and they relapse, you know, and they go through this cycle. One of the things that I felt is probably their biggest downfall is they have no balance in their life. I mean, I, you know, something I've always, I I teach about all the time is balance. You know, anytime I feel overwhelmed in life, my result, my, my, it's usually a result of my life being out of balance somewhere. And so many of those people go to three, four meetings a day. What else are you doing? I mean, what else can you be doing? <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. And it feels so safe to do that. Yes. It feels so safe to go to three or four meetings a day because you're not using, right? But then you're not practicing living life either. Mm-hmm. You're living life inside the rooms of recovery, which is great. It, everything that we hear in the rooms of recovery, you know, other than it comes from the book, is all someone's subjective opinion from their unique experiences, history, and behavior. 
And oftentimes um, that can ignite old traumatic events from the persons that are in that room's life. And then they're like, I don't really know what happened. And I'm like, well, you've been to four meetings today. Something that you heard in those rooms activated an old trauma response in you. And you went running back to the old behavior. And to me, that makes total sense. I mean, you know, 80% of what we, what we're doing in the world is neuroception, meaning that our bodies are taking it in, not our mind. And so sometimes we don't even know what triggers us. It's just like, well, I don't know. I feel like I want to die all of a sudden. And it could be something as simple as a scent in the air, a color, right? right? That just brings upon the body's response of protect, protect, protect. And listen, I mean, I substances protected me from feeling my feelings for a really long time. And so they worked. And so if I'm activated and activated and activated with no other solution other than that one way of recovery, and I don't know how to handle those activations and those triggers when they come up, I'm going to go back to the old coping mechanism. Because that's what my body knows how to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I like, you know, you'd kind of said that you know, when you're in meetings or you're talking to people in recovery that they're telling, you know, their subjective view, their view of their experience. And, and that's another thing that I think is missed on a lot is teaching people to think for themselves. You know, I mean, you go to meetings and you listen to people and it's like, they're just, it's almost like reading the big book, but they're speaking it, you know, and they just say the same things. They all just say the same things. And I wish there was more emphasis on teaching that. How do you think for yourself? I mean, I've been in meetings before where I've heard people, I've got 30 years clean and sober and everything my mind still thinks is fucked up. <laughs> it's like, that's what you've got? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so real. I mean, you couldn't have put it better. Like that's, and it's happening all of the time everywhere. You know, one of the biggest things that Thrive and Recovery is all about is guiding people back to their truth, guiding people back to what the, you have known and always known. Um, and sometimes it's this discovery process that means that, that we have to go in and dismantle the protective mechanisms that we've created in order to hide that pain or to hide what we've always known. Uh, so much of this stuff started when we were just little tiny people. Yeah. And we very wisely create protective mechanisms to protect us to survive. And then we find substances or some other kind of behavior that helps us escape. And we forget that we knew before this pain and this trauma started happening. We come into this world all like, what's happened and ready. And if we don't have secure attachment from our families or, or caregivers, if we don't have if we're not getting our needs met as little people and we never learn how to, because we live this, we, we managed to get through surviving one day at a time, find, right. find some kind of behavior, drugs, alcohol to mm, really just push all of those feelings down. Then we stop using drugs, alcohol, or whatever those behaviors are. And then all those things come up at once that can feel quite weird, overwhelming and scary. Yeah. And and then there's a bunch of us all in the same room talking about it with each other and unknowingly, um, you're really not 
supporting each other to get into solution on how to actually move through those things and then um, feel safe to experience pleasure again and get high while clean. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you know, the feelings, the feelings thing is always the most difficult for so many people. I mean, I look at my, you know, methamphetamine for me, uh, I did so much of it, you know, when I was using and I was an IV user um, and I was, and I, and I kind of said earlier, earlier that, I mean, I was literally like a sociopath in, in a sense that while on it, I feel nothing, you know, and then you know, in 2002, I was forced, it was a forced sobriety when they locked me up in jail. (laughs) (laughs) And, and guess what? Everything came up. I mean, I felt things that I don't know if I'd ever felt in my life. I mean, it was just, I felt so many emotions and feelings. Um, You know, I, I was kind of joke about it, but you know, I'd freaking start crying at a Hallmark commercial, you know, I mean, just everything. And it was so horrific, you know, and of course coming off meth, you're in deep depression, you know, as, as that highness is gone, you know, I mean, any, I mean, the highness was gone while I was still using (laughs) because they, you know, we hit this adaptation level theory where, you know, you do it so much that eventually it stops working, but you know, when you get off it, of course you get to go even lower. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and your body's trying to figure out what to do with all of these, you know, new sensations that are happening throughout the body that the brain hasn't been able to actually process and the body hasn't actually been able to process. So yes. I mean, it's not the Hallmark commercial at all that you're crying about. It's like some, one of the weird things that maybe in a total blackout or just, you were just, you know, off, you know, out for 10 or 15 days and just not really remembering what was happening and totally numb. And you're like, I'm not, I'm crying about something. And, and those are the things that can get so confusing. And that, um, as the person that's feeling it, I know when I started to feel those things, I was like, oh my gosh, like, when is this going to stop? It feels permanent and pervasive while it's happening. And, you know, I just want to remind everyone that's listening, like it's not, it feels that way. And it's very real when it's feeling that way in those moments. However, once the body understands that it's safe to process this thing that's coming up um, and that you don't have to necessarily relive it because that's sometimes where we go wrong is that we do this kind of immersive experience of making ourselves relive things that we've done. And that's not, in my opinion, the solution um, where we can do this much more gently and with so much more love and so much more safety so that it can actually be pleasurable. And, you know, my experience, Eric, wasn't very different than yours. I, in those, when I figured out that I could no longer use alcohol, my favorite coping mechanism, which then meant that I couldn't use any of the other drugs that I was using. Um, I mean, I was so chemically dependent on it that I just couldn't even have a sip without like the whole thing just, and my body just got so sick from it. And I was just like, I could not see a life where I was going to be able to regulate or, you know, just be able to live without that as in my body, I could not see it. And um, it was scary. It was really scary 
too go like, I've been using this for a long time and it's worked so well. I mean, you know, it really did. It worked really well to manage me not killing myself or trying to kill myself sooner. Honestly. I mean, it just did. It kept me nice and numb. I mean, for a few hours, at least the hangovers, all of that were not fun, but I was so highly functional. And then when I figured out I couldn't use it anymore, I was like, if these are my only options for recovery, and if this is what recovery really looks like, I don't want it. Mm-hmm. I would rather die. And um, I was unsuccessful. I would take all the perfect amounts of Xanax and alcohol so that I would not wake up. And somehow, some way I would. And so I had to go really like scrape along the bottom there and some really pretty raunchy things for my body, for my family, for everyone to witness. Um, and they, no one knew that it was like even a thing. Like no one really knew I was depressed because I did such a great job of hiding it. I wore masks really well. So when all of this started happening, everyone was like, wait, what? Amy's totally fine. She's in San Francisco rocking it. She's her own business. She's and, um, and then underneath of it all, there was, that was not really what was happening. I had just been a master mask wearer and it worked for a really long time. Yeah. And I knew that I wanted to, to feel pleasure in my conscious life. And that's why the last time I went to treatment, I was like, you've got to let me do things my way. Like, listen to me, please. Like I have a plan. I want things to be different and I'm willing to do whatever I have to do to check all the marks on your boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, if you'll let me study, if you'll let me da da da. Cause I'd started writing my program the very first time I went to treatment in 2014. And then, um, and then I started writing down like all of the different methodologies that I knew were going to support me to be able to, to be high wall clean. Yeah. Um, and I also knew that if I wanted to stay safe, the safest thing to do was to stay in, in, in recovery spaces that would keep me safe. So treatment for 30 days, sober living for six months, um, all the while started my business while I was there. Right. Um, cause I knew that that was going to keep me in a, a container of safety and structure so that I could do my own thing and figure it out. And that was such a big part of my journey for recovery. And I mean, I worked the steps, I did all the things. Cause I mean, I really was like, I'll, I'll do everything mm-hmm. and I'll try everything. I'll, ex- I'm willing to explore it all. Um, I, n- I won't necessarily be like indoctrinated, indoctrinated, wherever that word is into it, but I will like, Yeah, I will listen, I will read the book, and I will take from it what I want, and I will leave the rest. And, um, and I was, after like, I don't know, six or seven sponsors, I found someone um, who was really willing to meet me where I was at, and at least walk me through um, the steps. And then I was like, okay, yeah, and there's like all this other stuff, (laughs) right? Right, so now you help other people. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but that there's so much more than that because that wasn't go, getting through the steps didn't right. create happy, joyous, and free. You know, there was still so much underlying trauma and so many weird behaviors and um, so much distrust in myself, um, so much emotional pain, no real idea how to show up in relationships mm-hmm. um, in integrity, like all the things, like all the lifey stuff that is 
you know, what takes people back out, but it is so important to learn. Yeah. And what I noticed is that most of us didn't get the opportunity to learn this when we were, when we were younger, because we just didn't have the space and the time to do that. Too many, too many drugs to do. Too many drugs to do and, and lots of dysregulation in, in the households as well. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I, I saw, um, and it was even the email that I was, who was it that communicated with me? That was, uh, uh, Maureen. Marie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, you know, she had sent me a little bit of information. One of the things that really kind of stuck out and I really liked what she had put on there had to do with purpose, you know, that, and this was, and this was probably one of the most important things for me, you know, was my entire life. I, that's what I didn't have. I didn't have a purpose. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I was wandering aimlessly in life, you know, running around with the grateful dead and, <laughs> you know, doing that whole, you know, crazy life. And, and I didn't have a purpose. And, when I got clean and sober, you know, and I looked at myself and then I also looked at all of the people out there that were happy, successful, you know, clean and sober and enjoying life was they all had a purpose. They knew they were going, what they were doing, how they were going to get there, you know, and, um, and that's what drives us. You know, again, it's not the pain, you know, people get, you know, people get sober because of what they don't want, but stay sober because of what they do want. And, and that's that drive that I think keeps us moving in the right direction. Yeah. Um, you're so right. And what I notice is that the world motivates us through fear. Mm -hmm. And there can even be this like pressure on like finding a purpose, like, oh my God, you got to find your purpose. Well, fuck, where the fuck is it? Did I, excuse me, I'm, am I allowed to say that word here? Yes. <laughs> um, did I leave it under a rock somewhere in my life? Is it under my bed? Like, did I leave it in my 20s? Cause now I'm 40 and I'm just getting sober. Like, what is this purpose? And, and something that I just always bring people back to is like, what do you feel when you're doing things? right? What really lights you up? Because if we continue to be motivated and inspired by fear of what we don't want, then we're not giving our body, our mind, our spirit, the opportunity to enjoy the things that we actually do like. Mm -hmm. And something that I notice in people who choose recovery of any kind is that we have a very small tolerance for good. Like, because of the chaos, because of the things that we've endured, because of jail time or all of the different things, like there is a lot of tolerance for disorganization and there's a lot of tolerance for pain and there's a lot of tolerance for all these things. And when things are going well in someone's life, they're like, I don't know what to do. And then they'll often say, I'm bored. I'm like, oh, no, no, honey, you're not bored. <laughs> like, this is new right? Like you are used to something blowing up right, right about this time and you're going to blow it up. But what if we start to explore this beautiful feeling that you're feeling that things are actually awesome right now and you want more of these things, but it's scary because you've never had it before. And what emotions really drive you and feel good with you? And like, what are you, what do you know? What do you really 
truly trust within yourself? What truth is there to find from this place? And when you can consistently feel those things and allow that pleasure to be there, then that can give you those purpose feelings, how you want to feel. And then you create structure around it so that you can actually go out in the world and do the thing. Because purpose, in my opinion, isn't outside of me. It's how I show up on podcasts. It's how I show up on lives. It's how I show up. Like, that's just me in my passion, in my, mm, yeah, it's like, oh my gosh, this excites me. I got to interrupt you because I need to talk right now, right? <laughs> like, that to me is purpose yeah. within us. And, um, and sometimes it feels really unsafe to have that. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Fear. I mean, you, you kind of, you know, I mean, fear, you know, it's sad when fear keeps us from doing the things that would be important for us to do or things that we want to do. And, and, you know, you look at the the pleasure side to it and, and, you know, being clean and sober and that concept that life's going to suck, life's going to be boring. Um, I think that's the most ridiculous thing ever, you know, because the truth being is that if I continue doing drugs, life's going to suck. Life's going to be boring because I'm going to be destroying my ability and destroying all those brain cells that are giving me the pleasure. Yeah. Well, and it's only about that. You know, the way that I always put it is that when drugs or alcohol are our main coping mechanism, the only thing that we're really in relationship with is that mm-hmm. because everything centers around how do I get high so that I can have sex so that I can go to work so that I can, um, you know, be in a relationship with so-and-so so that I can do this. Like the main relationship is between me and the substance Mm-hmm. where when we take that away, then our relationship gets to be with all kinds of things. And we get to decide what we like and what we don't like and have agency again. Because when I was just always concerned about how fast can I get something inside of me to put between me and the world, that was my main event, right? Like I need a Xanax. I need a co- I need cocaine. Oh, I'm going to go to the show. I need, you know, ecstasy. I need this. I need that. I need much. I I always needed something to enhance the experience when we're choosing life without that, then it's like, Oh gosh, like you, your choices get so much bigger freedom. Yeah. I mean, 100%. Yeah. Which can feel overwhelming y'all, you know, if you have only been relating to life through the lens of something between you and the world, having freedom will shut your nervous system down. It will collapse. That's like, oh, no, 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 that's too much. That's overwhelming. That's too much. I can't handle that. And so we don't do it all at once. We support the nervous system to start to feel safe, to grow into, okay, let's like give a little bit of freedom. The analogy that I like to give is that they've done studies with um, children playing in a yard, you know, like a big yard, like a schoolyard. And if there's no fence, around the schoolyard, then the children are all in the middle of the yard. But when there's a fence around the schoolyard, then the children are everywhere, playing everywhere because they feel safe because they have those limits, those boundaries mm. around them. 
and their nervous systems can relax and be like, okay, the teachers are right there. The fence is there. We can play everywhere. Yes. But without that fence, they're all cuddled together, protecting one another. Yeah. Yeah. After I'd served my, my time in custody, you know, I was very fearful of getting out. You know, I felt, I felt safe, you know, in, inside, you know, I felt that, you know, I had a seven year uh, prison term over my head if I violated once I got out of custody and I had a lot of fear that I was going to make the wrong decisions based on all my great decisions I've made in the past. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, there, there was points in time where I was getting closer that I actually literally was hoping that I have a new case that'd be filed on me. So I didn't have to leave hmm. because I had that, that fear, you know, that I was, and again, I felt safe, which, you know, in jail, my friend is, uh, I got a really good friend of mine that's getting out in about a month. He's been in prison for about six, close to six years. And, um, he's actually going to be moving in. Um, I'm going to, he's going to move into one of my rooms for a little while, um, to kind of help him get back on his feet. And, you know, we've, we've been communicating a lot and that's, you know, where he stands too. He's, you know, he's like, I'm a wreck, you know? And, uh, you know, most of, you know, you kind of think like, Oh God, it'd be so great to get out of prison, but <laughs> no, there's, there's a, yeah, it's very scary. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, one of the, well, that's one of the many problems with our systems, right? Mm -hmm. Is that then we don't do anything to support your nervous system, his nervous system into what I call re-entry. Right. You know, I mean, anytime we have any kind of um, break from our real life, whether it's treatment I mean, even when it's on vacation, even when we go on vacation, it's like kind of scary to go back into life because all the things that will be waiting for us there. And can we be, can we go slow? Can we create systems? Can we naturalize it, make it normal, right? Like it's, it's so important and it's not something that we do well, definitely not in our prison systems, which I have such a big heart to support more, especially because everyone in that, in prison has some kind of trauma, every single person. I mean, and it's just proven over and over and over again. And, um, we're and the not chances of them going back are good because oh, yeah. uh, for a lot of reasons, but you know, one being, you know, if you, you know, you get somebody that's been in prison for six years, 10 years, 15 years or whatever, you know, and they get out and they don't have support, you know, they're financially struggling. They need food. They're going to resort eventually back to what they knew which is what they were doing before, which could be selling dope, or it could be, you know, doing different things like that, which is going to put them right back, you know, into the system. Absolutely. And that's what I remind people of is that our nervous systems are designed to keep us alive, mm -hmm. not to thrive. They're just designed to keep us alive. So when we're, when we're in fear and we don't have any access to the smarter parts of our brain, then we act out of the older reptilian parts of our brain, those grooves that are paved in that, in the old part of our brain are going to take us to the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. And that path of least resistance usually includes our old behaviors in some way, shape or form. Right. And so if I'm, I mean, you know, as a woman who does this work, I can still find little tiny ways, very subtle ways where I'm like, wait, what am I doing here? What, 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 what just ignited this old pathway? I mean, I'm not doing anything, you know, 
that's going to hurt me or, right. but it's still a part of that old pathway mm -hmm. that I'm just very aware of. And I'm like, Oh, wait, you know, I mean, something as silly as like, <laughs> like I really was enjoying almond butter and I got into this habit of just eating it right out of the can or the container. And I was like, this pathway is leading to something that is so high sensation that it's numbing that pathway for me. And I become unconscious while I'm eating it and I'll eat too much, make myself kind of sick. And I just was like, I need to eliminate the almond butter from my life. Now it's very subtle. And this is like a great problem to have as someone who had problems that were much deeper than this at some point. But I'm so glad that I had the awareness and it was hard to give it up because I was like, oh, and it made so feel so good. It's so pleasurable. But I was overdoing it. That old pathway just like kicked back in. And you're eating overdoing. almond butter? Yeah, almond out of the can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it was just like not good for me anymore. It wasn't working, but it was something that was hurting me. And I'm like, it's so clearly a part of that pathway that mm. once I start something, I just want to sort of numb. And the almond butter was acting as a numbing agent. I was like, mm, this isn't pleasurable anymore. Like yeah. there's a big difference between mm, like, I'm going to have one. Now I make them into these little fat bites and they're so good. And I can have one and it can be so freaking pleasurable, but then just eating it like straight out of the can. And we do that with sugar. We do that with porn. We do that with sex. We do that with cigarettes. We do that with caffeine. We do that with all kinds of different things, mm -hmm. but it's that same pathway that's getting ignited in some way. That's just like, mm, I just want to shut down. Mm. And I can think of many more healthy ways for me personally to kind of check out and, and, you know, go play in the, in the pool or go do something, go for a walk, go talk to the hummingbird friends that just yeah. came back, you know, just do something that's more pleasurable. That isn't taking me back to that old way. Right. Yeah, you know, one thing I, one thing I always think about, and I think that, and I, I know I've said this on my show before, but you know, with, you know, recovery and what is recovering? What are we recovering from? And you know, everybody always says it's a lifetime thing, you know, that we're dealing with, you know, in terms of the recovery process. And when I look back at my life, I've I've sort of felt that you know, the recovering for me and a lot of it is recovering from grief, grief and loss, you know, even in the context of the drug, you know, I mean, meth, like meth for me was my first love. I mean, that was, you know, you always say everybody wants to go back to their first love, right? Methamphetamine. That was my first love. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and so I look at it even today. Um, do I miss it at times? Yeah. Does it pop in my head at times? Sure. You know, um, you get a little tired and you're like, oh yeah, a good boost would be great. You know, um, you kind of, you know, start rationalizing, manipulating yourself a little bit. And, um, and that's something, you know, I think that was probably the most important thing for me to really look at, you know, mm -hmm. was to address that grief and loss, you know? Yeah. Now, of course I let go of that, to gain back the other things that I lost, <laughs> you know, such as myself, you know, my love for self, my self-esteem, you know, my family, um, jobs, you know, everything under the sun, you know, 
Um, and so that's what was very important for me was to let go of that so I could gain this back. <laughs> Absolutely. And what you said is just so true. So what's underneath all of it is the unhealed emotional trauma, right? So the, the grief is such a big part of the process. Yeah. And, and often we're grieving the childhood we never had. We're grieving the things we wish we would have done in our 20s. We're grieving the youth that we used to have. We're grieving the substance that used to work. We're grieving the relationship that we thought was perfect, but really wasn't. Like we're constantly grieving the past. And something that I like to really honor when I'm working with people is like, can we grieve that? And can we celebrate it fully? Can we celebrate what we had? You know, um, you know, I, I drank and used drugs and had a really freaking great time yeah. in a lot of these places, sure. right? Like a, I had a fabulous, glamorous, fun life. Well, yeah, it was not all bad. <laughs> no. And I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not mad at alcohol. I'm not mad at drugs. I'm not mad at people who still choose to use them. It just stopped working for me. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm in deep grief of like, Oh, like, you know, um, I'm also a very big music person. And so, you know, concerts are coming back again right now in September of 2021. And it's like, Oh my gosh, like, like that urge of, or seeing my friends where I can tell they're not really there in the photos online, you know, and I'm just like, fuck yeah, like that looks like so much fun. And I celebrate how well I did it. I'm like, oh my goodness, I did music festivals like so well, like costumes, perfect drugs, perfect like situations, like all the right people, all the right things. And I'll just be in like, real celebration of like, oh my God, remember that one time and da, 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 that was so fun. And and then that brings a lightness where I can still grieve it. Like I'll, it'll never be like that again for me. I'll never have that kind of experience. No, it'll be better. Okay, it's going to be yeah. better. <laughs> exactly. It'll be different. And can different even be okay? Because I, instead of being like, I can't go because I can't get high actually I can go and I can get even more high yeah. and remember everything and still talk to all the same people. And yeah. like three quarters of my friends are either sober or getting sober now in the music world. And so I'm just like, yeah. awesome. Right. Like we can all be high while clean and enjoy the music. You know, it's about learning to live in a world where it's at and not have to do it ourselves. you know, mm -hmm. and, and I mean, I tell clients this all the time when they're like, oh, I'll never be able to do this again. I'll never be able to do that. I can't ever go to baseball games or I can't ever go to concerts, you know, and that's such a crock of shit because, you know, we, you know, again, the Grateful Dead was, it is still by far my favorite band. And, uh, you know, from 91 to 95, um, I off and on went to a lot of concerts, you know, up until Jerry Garcia died which was a very sad day. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and of course, a lot of drugs, you know, a lot of LSD, a lot of hallucinogens, a lot of weed, you know, drinking, um, you know, the Grateful Dead was a lifesaver for me in certain aspects also, because it actually took me away from meth. Yeah. And that was the one that killed me, but they'd hit town and I'd be off and running and I'd get off the meth and, you know, of course, get on a lot of LSD and, you know, <laughs> those things. Right. But in 2015, they did a reunion show 
um, up in Santa Clara. They did three shows in Chicago. And, uh, I was one. there. I was there. Did you do yes. you know Santa Clara? Uh-huh. Yeah, nice. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. and it was the greatest thing, you know, it was, I mean, and I, and I think about it, you know, cause like, like I think back, of course, when, you know, when I was going to the shows, you know, back when Jerry was alive and all that stuff, I don't remember hardly any of them, you know, I mean, I really don't, I mean, little, you know, it's foggy and little pieces here and there, but when I went, when I go clean and sober, I can actually remember it. You know, I can yeah. feel it. I can enjoy the music, you know, instead of just sitting on the grass and picking, you know, weird things and finding weird bugs on, on acid, you know, and <laughs> just wandering off, you know, but I get, I get to actually enjoy the reason I went. Yeah. Yeah. There's just so many things. And, you know, again, I'm just going to take it back to like, when our bodies, our minds are telling us that we're not going to be able to have as much fun and we're not going to be able to enjoy our lives that way. Like it is a protective mechanism to try to keep us in relationship Mm -hmm. with that thing. Mm -hmm. And so when, when you can, I mean, if you can hear what I just said, like it's a protective mechanism to keep us in relationship with the meth and the, and the drug of choice rather than, going to where you've maybe never been before and being in relationship with yourself more deeply with your self-confidence with like Mm -hmm. pure fucking joy for the sake of just mm, like joy and pleasure and all of the things that come from this. And it makes sense when it's telling us those things, right? That protective part of us. And this is a big part of the work I do is telling us like whispering in our ears, like, well, Amy, how how are you ever going to go to a wedding again? If you can't drink alcohol, Oh my gosh, like really, that was one of my concerns. And I'm just like, that was just so silly and so wise of that protective part of me that wanted to keep me drunk and numb and unable to really live in the world the way that I wanted to. And so our minds are very, very tricky and they want the nervous system wants that path of least resistance. So it is going to tell you every single thing to keep you stuck and safe. Mm -hmm. And it's not true. It's not true. None of these things are true, but it takes a, you know, a strong community. It takes like really being able to talk back to that part of you Mm -hmm. and remind that part of you. Like I, what I like to say to that part of me is like, thank you so much for keeping me safe. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for everything that you've done to keep me safe until now. I've got it from here. And that's my higher self. That's myself that's connected to things bigger than me that's just able to finally parent my part in a way to keep us all safe (laughs) rather than doing weird things to really take me out of consciousness and you know I think again the Iowa clean like experiencing a whole different level of consciousness is well because see you're high yeah and the thing is is that we can even flip that a step further you know and say that my drug of choice, I still get high on yeah. adrenaline, dopamine. I mean, those were literally that, and you know, that's what it came to my realization was, was that it was the adrenaline and the dopamine. That was my drug of choice. And you know what? I got it. Yeah. Well, and that's what I remind people of is like, we create all of this within ourselves. Mm-hmm. And when we feel safe to actually start creating these things, 
through our our regular, you know, day-to-day lives, that's when we can feel on purpose. Exhilaration is one of my purpose emotions. I love feeling exhilarated. So I do things to exhilarate myself. I take risks. I, I, I'm very vulnerable. Um, and that's exhilarating. <laughs> and I get the, you know, the rush. I get the lightheadedness. I get the, oh my God, I think I'm going to die. And it gets better. And, um, you know, a big part of my practices that I teach are embodiment of pleasure. And there's so much to explore that um, maybe, you know, you never even knew was possible Mm -hmm. through our pleasure, like when we can really activate what brings us pleasure and allow ourselves to, because actually experiencing deep levels of pleasure is pretty vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we're so closed off and so scared that we're not allowing ourselves to, to really lean into that. And whether it's through food or through nature or through just dancing or music or art or whatever it is, like we all, we have it within us. So you have a bridge to trust, which Mm -hmm. is a three day interactive experience. What is that? Yeah. So um, it's everything that we've been talking about really. Um, So I work with a lot of people who have been sober for a really long time, who've worked the steps several times, who aren't really like getting to that next Mm. part of their life. And one thing that is uh, missing is just learning how to create that trust that maybe they never had within themselves and in their relationships with their family systems, with their partners, with their friends, with their, you know, with the places that they work, all of those places, they just don't really know how to trust and how to be in, in self-confidence and self-worth, learning how to use their voice, learning how to really show up in the world. And so the Bridge to Trust experience, we just actually had it at the end of August and it was a three-day experience of like, what is trust? What does that actually even mean? And where is it ruptured in your life? And how do we repair that so that you can come back to understanding that you're safe to walk through the world and, and, and be in your truth mm-hmm. and, and be vulnerable? Mm-hmm. You know, what trust really is for me and the, the definition that I use for now, I just opened a new um, program called Recover the Trust. So it's like after we build that bridge, then how do we actually recover it? And this happens with our family systems all the time. Like, I don't think I'll ever be able to face that person again. Ooh, yeah, actually you can, because that trust doesn't have anything to do with that other person. It has to do with you. Mm. And can you really truly trust yourself again Mm. and, and show up in the world with that? Like, I can do this. I'm, I'm capable of going to the baseball game or going to the concert or going to jazz fest or, you know, whatever it is that you do out there in the world that you can come back to really understanding your nervous system, understanding what it's like to actually communicate clearly and concisely. So often people don't really know how to ask for their needs to get met. Mm. And so they become the three-year-old or five-year-old or 10-year-old version of themselves when they're trying to get their needs met or don't know how to, fighting is actually very healthy with your partners, with your family, with your friends. Like disagreeing is okay. But how do you do it in a healthy way? Mm-hmm. How do you apo- how do you apologize 
in the world, right? And do it in a healthy way. What is a real apology? Those are all the things that we learn together and recover the trust. And probably the most freeing thing is really learning the three states of your nervous system. And so that you, when you're in one state to just be like, oh, that totally makes sense. Like, I just don't know how to bring myself down from a fight or flight response. Right. Or I don't know how to take myself up from a collapsed freeze response. Right. Yeah. So that's a little bit about what it's about. It's really that next level. Of, it's all the things that keep us stuck. You know, I mean, I get to work with, I've been working with people all over the world for several years now and they reach a certain level and then they just get, like you said, with your recovery, you just got a little stagnant and stale and you're just like, wait, what do I do next? And, mm-hmm. and people are like, oh, I'm bored. And all the old things are coming back up. And I'm like, wait, 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 that's not what's actually happening here. There's some unhealed stuff that's getting in the way you've kind of created your own glass ceiling of sorts and you're just running into it. And like, how can we actually learn to trust yourself that you can bust through it? Yeah. And part of it is, you know, early when you first get clean and sober, you make leaps and bounds. I mean, you do, you know, you kind of, you're like way down here, you know, and you get clean and it's, you're kind of moving up fairly quick, you know, to a point to where eventually you hit a point to where, okay, you're, you're not going to be able to make those giant leaps anymore. But as long as you're making steps, you know, no matter how small, I mean, you know, I tell people, you know, all the time that as long as you gain one thing, then it's worth it, you know? So even if it's just minute little steps forward, then you're in the right direction. Yeah. And so often like that if we're only measuring it and, from like the, the, the steps that we make forward, then there's a tendency, and this has happened so often for us to always think that we're failing. And so again, like the work that I do in that trauma, trauma world and trauma informed world is like, all of your mistakes are giant steps forward too. All of your imperfection is giant steps forward. Like maybe you don't have to be going fucking forward at all. Like that you're learning and that you're taking from this because you know, like, I take risks all the time and I'm like, Oh, that didn't really work. And I'm not like beating myself up about it. I'm like, that didn't work. Okay. So now what can I try again? (laughs) Um, If I'm only looking up the ladder and not really celebrating all of the things, all the learning and the fumbling around and the not knowing it's like that staying curious, that curiosity of the the title of my book. I have a book pain, failure, and misery are the stepping stones to success. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and because like, you know, I mean, things have to die in order for them to be recreated. Right. And that's often very painful, but there's definitely been um, different parts of me that I had to be like, I got to let this part go. And it served me so well. And thank you so much. But it doesn't always mean that it's going to be, um, enjoyable or pleasurable, but how can I find the pleasure in it anyway? Right. How can I really take every stroke that life gives me? Because that's what finding up for consciousness is. And it's all, and a lot of it's based on perspective. You know, how are you viewing things? You know, um, you know, is it a problem or is it an opportunity? Yeah. I mean, everything, you know, for me, this was, that was a big thing for me was to kind of, 
change the my view of things, you know, look at things very differently. Um, you know, even my past, I mean, I did a lot of horrible things in my past, you know, going back to my sociopathic nature while on meth. And, you know, but I can look at, I can look back on it today and be grateful for everything that I went through because none of it made me who I am, but it did help shape me. And I love who I am today. Exactly. Absolutely. So it's about reframing, you know, we can kind of reframe, we can change new, you know, we can create new meanings, you know, out of our old past. Um, Cause we can't change our past. No, you know? all we can do not. is all we can do is maybe twist it around, change it to become lessons, you know, to become beneficial for us in some way. And then it, it's useful to us. Absolutely. And I, that's one of the main things that um, people get stuck in is trying to change the past or make up for this time lost. Yeah. And I'm like, that time lost is an illusion. It really just is, you know, and it, we, if we spend 75% of our energy trying to make up for lost time or to do these things, then we're not spending that 75% of our energy, like being here now to create something totally different and new. Cause it's not lost. No, it's not lost at all. It's like the freaking <laughs> embers for the fire that you can create in your life as a clean and sober human doing things in the world. It's not lost at all. I mean, I mean, all those years that I did all that stuff, those aren't that's not lost time. I know exactly where it was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. But then people can catastrophize so quickly that like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to have that again. And then that catastrophization like leads to a, a sympathetic like fight, fight response. And then they're, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And I've ruined my life. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But the first thing first is like, how do we oof, help the nervous system relax? into some safety so then we can actually see like "Mm, you haven't ruined your life all those things taught you some shit and now let's go Mm -hmm. do something different with all that you learned if you want to unless you want to continue we only have so much energy and in order to change our pathways it takes a lot of actual nervous system and brain energy and so when people are like after a workshop with me, they're like, oh my God, I slept so good last night. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Cause we regroove in your, your narrow pathways. Like this is, this is like your brain's having to work really hard to not just go down that path of making everything wrong and absolute right. staying curious takes a lot of energy yeah. and I'll, it's easy to do when we're on a hallucinogen, but it's a little bit harder to open those pathways. Cause they're just like, no, we got to keep we got to go safe. We got to keep safe. We got to keep safe. We've got to keep safe. And, you know, like dating is a perfect example of that. You know, people are like, I just want to get into a relationship right away. And I'm like, yeah. And like, you know, you, you date first and that takes a lot of energy. It's okay. Like, you know, like that's what you're here now. You're as a conscious person choosing sobriety, you can choose a lot differently than the way you dated in the past. And that's one of my favorite things to support people with is like, it can be different, but it's just going to take a lot more energy for you to not go down those same pathways right. of how you used to show up in your relationships. For sure. Well, hey, um, 
I always like to ask this question um, to everybody is um, if you were to send a message out to people that are struggling, what would you tell them? Something that I would have loved to have heard while I was recovering is like, it's okay. And it makes sense what you're doing. It's okay. And it makes sense. And I would have loved to, that would have just helped me relax. And I would have listened to someone from that place. And so if you're out there and you're like, oh my God, I'm such a blank, blank, blank. And I'm just not doing anything right. Like it's okay. And it makes sense. And you can choose differently. I love that. <laughs> Cause I, yeah, I mean, I get it too. And, you know, I mean, that's the funny thing, you know, with drugs, it's like, you know, when, when we, when I, you know, started, of course, started drugs, you know, it was giving me all these positive stuff. I mean, it was doing great things for me. It gave me energy, gave me, you know, focus, concentration. I, I liked myself. At least I felt I liked myself um, and it worked, you know, now eventually of course it stops working, but yeah. it definitely worked at the time. Exactly. Yeah. And so it makes sense. It's okay. And you can choose differently. (laughs) Well, eventually I had to, you know. Yeah. If I wanted to stay high, I had to. You know, I wanted to stay high, I had to get clean and sober. Yeah. And just I know we're gonna wrap up soon. It's something that I want to add to to this is that if you're out there and you're not at that rock bottom and you still want to stop. Like you don't have to, um, that you can find an inspiration and a motivation and everything that you're doing makes sense. When you start to understand that you're escaping something, then you have so much more choice. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's so possible. You don't have to do like Eric and I did and have to be forced to stop. (laughs) There's got to be a better way. Oh, there is. And I get to support lots of people to choose differently (laughs) and, and they, they don't have to reach that bottom. I just talked to two old clients today, actually, that were just calling to brag about how fucking awesome their life is. And I was like, Oh my God, I'll listen to this all day long. And they didn't have to reach any kind of bottom to do it. Yeah. They had to reach their own bottom, whatever, whatever it's like, you know? Yeah. Um, well, why don't you well, give everybody um, your, how do they reach you? How would people? Uh, yeah. So it's really simple. Facebook, Instagram, my website is all thrive, thrive and recovery with Amy. All one word, thrive and recovery with Amy. Um, there's all kinds of different videos that you can um, watch there and listen to. You can direct message me. And currently in September, we're recording right now in September, I have a container called Recover the Trust, and that's um, Thrive and Recovery with Amy backslash Recover the Trust. And it's a group coaching program that will take you on a journey for five months to really just do everything that Eric and I talked about in five months to really get you to that next level of your life, to experience the self-confidence and mm, the relationships and with money, with intimacy, with sex, with you know your every part of your life, with your partners, with your family. And take that to the next level. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on here. I really appreciate this. Um, I love your message. Like I said, I think you 
and I think very similar in a lot of aspects. Um, and uh, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. You too. Thank you so much for this and have a great afternoon. You too. Hey, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to another episode of High Wall Clean. And as I always like to say, keep getting high, but let's do it clean. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you.